Welcome to the Hobcast Book Show, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime, mystery and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of running a creative business in this challenging world. We'll hear from the people who make this possible, the authors, the cover designers and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast Book Show from Hobeck Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. And welcome to the Hobcast Book Show, episode 115. My name is Adrian Hobart. My name is Rebecca Collins. And together we run Hobeck Books, UK independent publishers, of the following four genres. Mystery. Suspense. Crime. And thrillers. Welcome to the show. Our guest this week is Nick Edmonds, a former GP, and is now living in Stirling up in Scotland, and uh, is working on his second novel. His first came out last year. So we'll be talking to him, and uh, he has a couple of really good little aphorisms that will help any author. Isn't that where birds live? Uh, That's an aviary, love. Oh. Do you know, I discovered one the other day I didn't know, uh, in the centre of Stafford. Did you know there's an aviary in the middle of Stafford? Um. No. Oh, in the park, Victoria Park. In Victoria Park, yeah. No, I didn't know that. It's really cool. (laughs) <laughs> I walked past it just by chance uh, the other day when I was going to get my hair cut, and uh, I really liked it. It's full of birds? exotic birds, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really, and the kids love it. Uh, anyway, I digress. We are, of course, based in Staffordshire, so not far from Stafford, about a 20-minute drive to catch a train to London, which indeed I was doing uh, that day, which we were talking about last week. So uh, let's get into some news. I think, first of all, actually, I, I want to just reflect for a moment, because... The Hobbit family lost another member of his extended family. This yeah, yeah, don't don't get people too worried. But yeah, no, 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 no. Uh, well, I mean, it is horrible. But um, Bertie is uh, Linda was Linda Versha's beautiful Labrador. Oh, he was lovely. He was, so and we got to know Bertie pretty well. We come gone to stay with Lynn on a couple of occasions, and Bertie just was so full of life and, and joy, and uh, just a fantastic dog. And uh, I'm I'm just doolally about dogs. Never owned one, but uh, always, you know, my spirits soar. And we had, I had a great relationship with Bertie, as did you. Yeah. Uh, do you think that's the irony, though, that you've never owned a dog? I've owned dogs in my life. And yet you are by far more the dog person. Oh, I'm nuts about yeah. dogs. In fact, it's one of the beauties of living where we are. I was just reflecting on this, that basically people walk their dogs past our barn where we are uh, currently living and um you know it's like you know it's it's like a motorway full of dog walkers well actually we're a service station i'll tell you why because <laughs> yeah. uh, there's a gap in the wall that yes. surrounds our garden and there's no gate on the gap and dogs often see that as oh i can go in there then mm. and so when i mow the lawn almost all the dogs who go past just just come slightly in to say hi. Some yes, run up, run right up to me for oh, a lick. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. And the owners always apologise. I went I... for a walk yesterday and I was licked by about four different dogs, <laughs> uh, which I, I, I totally uh, welcome, uh, by the way. So no problem there. But Bertie passed away uh, uh, earlier this week, so we we're very, um, very sad. To hear yeah, that. we were quite shocked, weren't we, when we got the email from Lynn? Because mm. my memory of Bertie is the two times that we stayed waking up in the morning and hearing him just outside the door and opening the door and he would just bound on the bed and snuggle up and it was so cute. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other <laughs> thing that we both did was we'd play chase around a, a, a large um, series of bushes uh, and uh, it was basically ring a ring of roses, wasn't it? it each trying to outfox each other. Yeah, and, but Bertie uh, was smarter than we were. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it wouldn't be hard. Uh, and quicker, Speak for obviously. yourself. Um, <laughs> And it was just great fun. So uh, we're going to miss Bertie terribly, um, as indeed Lynn will, of course. Um, so our thoughts are with her. And uh, with Trollop the cat. Yeah, I think Trollop is struggling, actually, from what Lynn said. Because mm, yeah. the, the thing about animals is you, you can't explain to them. Suddenly, their companion has disappeared. Mm. You, you can't, there's nothing you can do. Mm. And they, they do grieve. They do grieve quite hard. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. 
no it, it is the, the that is the the big downside of, of of being a pet owner you know they're, they're so important in your life and then when they're gone the hole is huge into uh into sort of wider publishing news then yes um another uh we ought to mark the passing of a, of one of the publishing uk publishing's um sort of great innovators peter usborne has passed away and uh he of course as the name suggests the creator of usborne books for children one uh of the biggest um independent publishers of of uh, of children's books in the UK. I think anyone who is a parent or who has been a parent of small children will be very familiar with Osborne books because they I think they, they for a short period of time they are huge in your life, aren't they? Because mm. it's Osborne who do the that's not my dinosaur, his spikes are too spiky or whatever it is. Do you remember those? Oh yeah, absolutely. No, they I mean they're education uh, mostly educational books in terms of like those tactile um books for for really early years and then um you know you go into those explaining books that i think i've got an osborne book upstairs which i won as uh it was like a progress prize i think it was called in my um in in my uh you know sort of infant school what when you were little yeah when i was eight i won yeah. the progress prize and it was Ooh. an osborne book oh wow i didn't realize that the reach was quite that Far back. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> it was actually founded in 1973. Oh, there you go. So they were quite new when yeah, you were little. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I still got it upstairs, and um, you know, it's one of my you proudest have to show possessions. Me later. Yeah, if I can find <laughs> it. Uh, but uh, you know, he 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 was uh, extraordinary, really, and um, he's uh, you know a winner of so many awards over the years, has to be said. But uh, yeah, he he passed away, aged 85 uh, this week. Uh, and also was involved in the um, creation of Private Eye, the satirical magazine. Those two things are quite different, aren't they? Mm. So uh, I li I like it when somebody dips their creativity in in completely different pots. Mm. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. So. Osborne always have a very big um, for the children's section, one of the biggest stands at London Book Fair. I think they, they've done quite well, haven't they, as a company? Because when I was a parent, well, I still am a parent, but when my children were at primary school, they used to have um, Osborne book festivals. And so somebody who works for the company, sort of um, uh, like a franchise franchise basis, and they would um, hold a stall of, of discounted books in the hall for three afternoons after school. And they would do really well. We would always buy some books from these oh, yeah. mini book festivals, and it, you know, I presume that goes on in almost all primary schools in the country. Absolutely, absolutely. So Peter Osborne, aged eighty-five and a half, as it says on their, their <laughs> website, uh, as if you know, the half is important. <laughs> as if that's important nowadays. When you know, it is when you're seven and a half, but not necessarily eighty-five and a half. Uh, but uh, you know, thoughts with his family. Uh, now, uh, your other story, um, it's to do with someone, I mean, let, let's be honest, when we set up Hobeck, we were, the the core inspiration for the idea came from an interview uh, I heard and we shared um, with Jasper Joffe of Joffe Books. Yes. Some years ago now, four or five years ago, I heard this. And uh, his company, Joffe Books, is, just won the um, uh, trade uh, bookseller at the uh, the Nibbies. Oh uh, yeah, so they're, they're um, celebrating. Yeah, celebrating that. But also, they have acquired. They're so successful. They have acquired another company. I know, chocolate. Chocolate. Not heard of chocolate, but I, you know, it's not a sphere that we're into. But it just shows how Joffy started off as a crime imprint, but now is into anything that will sell ebooks in popular genres. I think it's that level of commercial fiction, isn't it, that they're interested mm. in? So uh, a bit like Boldwood. Boldwood yeah. have a, a, a sort of a, a bit of a grip on the romance side of that, but looks like well, Joffe are trying. Joffe are moving in on, on that territory, and so to, they've got a backlist now from Chocolate, which is principally sort of romance and sort of cosy um, stories set by the seaside, that kind of stuff, <laughs> you know, with the, uh, the the pastel shaded covers and you know that sort of thing that look like a Kath Kidson catalogue or something. Um, Basically, get 250 back titles uh, from that purchase. Uh, Chocolate themselves have been going since 2009. Um, and so uh, it's an undisclosed fee, 
for the sale. Mm-hmm. But um, it's the fifth company that Joffe have taken over. I know. I was looking at the list and um, actually I hadn't quite realised how many they have. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's Absorbed. It's, it is an extraordinary um, success story, uh, Jasper Joffe's company, Joffe Books. Um, expanding all the time, uh, not just in terms of adding new companies and, and authors, of course, but also um, staff. Um, yeah. they've, they've expanded in terms of, the, you know, they have a new publishing director and it started off with just Joffy himself. And, um, you know, I think they employ something like about 15 people at their headquarters in, in East London. Um, and so, you know, in the sort of trendy bit of East London, I should say. So congratulations to them and... Uh, you know, I'm sure the chocolate authors will be in good hands. We would love to have Jasper Joffe on the podcast, wouldn't we? We do. We do want to get Jasper on. So, well, we just need to ask him, really. Sure. I know. We, yeah, we haven't even asked him, so maybe we should. Yeah, we'll do that um, in the fullness of time. By the end of the year, that's our challenge. <laughs> uh, because we are actually set up with guests for uh, many weeks to come. I know. Fact. It's fantastic. I don't have to do much uh, looking at the moment. It's great. I just have to remember that. Who's the next guest? And who is our next guest next week? Well, Have you got that lined I up do. in your mind? Okay. No, you see, when we'll we... do that after the interview okay. this week, but uh, I'm just checking. Just checking. And the other piece of news we had, though, is a bit more lighter, isn't it? So um, I wonder how many people who listen to this podcast have read The Firm by John Grisham. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because I have read it and it was actually the first Grisham I picked up and it was a film with Tom Cruise uh, in his early early-ish um, yeah. sort of first 10 years of his career. Yeah, when he was a bit foire. Yeah, I mean, some people argue he still is, but it's, I mean, <laughs> he is remarkably well-preserved considering, you know, he's, what, 60-odd now? Um, he's in incredible con- condition, given that he does all his own stunts as well, which is just amazing. That makes me feel terribly old. Tom Cruise is in his 60s. Um, well, I've got to double-check that. <laughs> well, I suppose he must be because I'm 51. So, uh, well, yeah, he must yeah. be. He must be. Um, but anyway, so he he was in the firm, and I remember watching the film. I haven't read the book. It's unusual for you to have read a book and me not to have read it. But I know it was immensely popular, and the film, you know, helped John Grisham's career even further. Yeah, it's about a young lawyer. The original book is about a young lawyer who gets a very seductive offer from a mysterious sort of company uh, firm of lawyers who have only essentially one line of business and one client. And the, you know, the offer is, you know, hugely sucks. You get a car, house, very high salary compared to, you know, anyone else leaving law school. Uh, but what, of course, uh, oh, I don't want to give spoilers away, but, you know, let's put it this way. A single client ain't all it's made up to be. No, yes, uh, there's and, always... And then, and then, you know, a conspiracy continues and this young lawyer has to face incredible dangers to expose it. It's a great film and a great book, I imagine. Mm. But the the news we're talking about, we're not just talking about that for fun. And, and Tom Cruise is exactly 60. Uh, all right, okay. So he's still within my um, my limit. Anyway, so we're talking about the fact that um, John Grisham is going to be uh, publishing the follow-up to the firm. Yeah, and have we got a title for it? Um the follow-up is called The Exchange, and it's um, I think it's Hodder that are publishing it. So that is actually quite exciting, I think, because I think it'll do really well. Because it's one of those books, it, it, well, it is the book that sort of really launched the legal thriller genre. It did, yeah. I mean, John Grisham has sold multi-multi-millions of books ever, ever since, Um Right, so yeah, so it features Mitch, the main character from the firm. Yes, and here's the very brief uh, blurb. Uh, so you said Hodder uh, publishing it. I think so. I think it's Penguin Random House going to this, but anyway, um, maybe that's in the states. I don't know. Uh, anyway, let's have a look. Uh, da, 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 da. What became of Mitch and Abby McDear? Well, what well, indeed? <laughs> after they exposed the crimes of Memphis law firm Bendini, Lambert and Locke and fled the country. And the answer is in The Exchange, the riveting sequel to The Firm, the blockbuster thriller that launched the career of America's favourite storyteller, uh, James Patterson, uh, now 
rolling his eyes. It is now 15 years later and Mitch and Abby are living in Manhattan where Mitch is a partner in the largest law firm in the world and when a mentor in Rome asks him for a favour that will take him far from home, Mitch finds himself at the centre of a sinister plot that has worldwide implications and once again endangers his colleagues, friends and family. Uh, just to clarify, it is indeed Hodder, at least in the UK. Hodder to publish landmark follow-up. Okay. Uh, well, that's terrific. I mean, you know, that will sell gazillions of books. It will do. It will, because the people who read it the first time are now of an age. They're the, they're the people, well, our demographic of readers, I think, at Hobeck, the ones who read a lot mm. and love thrillers. But I think this is an interesting move for John Grisham because he tends not to go over the same territory you know he comes up with a new scenario new characters so to go back to something you know the origin story really of his career is quite a challenge now that might suggest i don't know i mean maybe it's been motivated by the fact that sales are a little slower than they used to be because you know uh that could be a fact i don't know um it could be just that scratching that itch i would i i wonder if it's that if he just you know, it had a period of a reflection and thought, Do you know what, I'd like to revisit that. Yeah, okay. Well, well uh, <laughs> when's it out? Do we know? Um, it doesn't have a date yet, so. Ah, okay, right. Well, so we'll, we'll wait with bated breath for that. Oh, I stand corrected, October. October. It would be October, oh, well, wouldn't it? Of course it, it would be. It would be a Super <laughs> Thursday book, no doubt. Wonderful. Right, let's get to our interview with Nick Edmonds, otherwise known as N.J. Edmonds. That's uh, his... Um, That's his writing name. His nom it? de plume uh, writing, yeah. And uh, his debut novel, uh, Miles Away, was published last year to considerable acclaim. And uh, it is a historical crime novel in the sense that it's uh, set in uh, areas such as Fife and Aberdeen in the 1970s. Uh, Which is now historical. Well, it is. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're talking getting on for 50 years. So, yeah, it does count as historical, even though it's uh, within living memory of you and I. We are now historical. <laughs> we are. We are. We feel it. Um, so we spoke to him from his home in Stirling. Here's Nick Edmonds. What a great pleasure it is to be joined by Nick Edmonds. Thank you so much for joining us on the Hopcast Book Show. It's a pleasure to, to do something like this. I haven't done anything like this ever before. I think I'd listened to about three podcasts of any sort before I volunteered for this a few months ago and I've now listened to a few of yours so I know I know what they are um, before that I didn't really have much clue so I'm, I'm, I'm up for anything but uh, please forgive me. The first of many I hope as an author because as an author you, you know you might get invited onto more podcasts so well hope it put you off. <laughs> I'd never never considered that anything like this would ever happen. I, I sat down to start writing a well, I didn't even sit down to start writing a book. I sat down to see if I could find a hobby when I retired. And a few years later, the book was published and, 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 and it was all a bit of a surprise to me. But I'm, I'm delighted and very lucky. It's interesting because, I mean, you're saying that you haven't really considered the podcast, but you have put yourself out there in the sense that what we were saying before we started recording at Bloody Scotland, you had one of the spotlight. <laughs> opportunities where you get to speak on stage I've done and, that. yes yes and, and that's that's some that's quite something because that's you know those that hall is big yeah the audience is decent they light it quite well though in that there's a spotlight on the spotlighter <laughs> as they call them the rest of the place is like you can hardly see the audience at all it's almost like you're speaking it's almost as personal as this. Um, you're, you're really speaking to the people on the stage beside you, or, and 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 I, I didn't actually feel as threatened as I would, as as I thought I would. I mean, but um, no, yeah. Uh, through through my career, I've had lots and lots of times. Well, a hundred times a day. Before you say next patient, um, <laughs> you mentally think back on stage again. Because you're kind of on stage, you're 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 being yourself, but you're but you're presenting what's expected of you, and you may be thinking about two other patients at the same time, but you can't show that when you're when you're in there. So I, I, I'm used to thinking on my feet and and being dropped in it, but I, I don't always volunteer for it. But um, no, bloody Scotland is a great opportunity, and I'm sure this is this is as well. Oh, I hope so. Ah, that's interesting. So 
let's just put people in in the picture then um now retired and you've written this book during retirement you should say looking for a hobby but before that you were a gp so you never know what's coming through the door on each of those appointments do you absolutely not you might know the patient you might have known the patient for 20 years Mm. and then they come in with something gobsmacking or something mundane or something you've never seen before or something you've seen three times already that morning but but I, that's what I loved about it. I, I really loved about it. I didn't want to be a, a specialist in anything and end up just looking at somebody's little fingernail for the whole career or, or, or a dentist. A dentist, can you imagine just looking at people's mouths all day? <laughs> at least I got to look in other places and orifices and things. But, um... <laughs> it's funny you say that about dentists because I took my middle son to the orthodontist the other day and his orthodontist is so chatty. And I think it's because he's bored of looking at teeth all the day. He was telling me about his teenage posters. He once told me about all the nightclubs he used to go to. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, like you say, he's doing the same thing all the time. Um, yeah, I mean, you, of course, you, you had your son with you. You didn't have your mouth full of instruments. No. That's the annoying oh boy, thing. He couldn't respond. He, yeah, yeah, exactly. His mouth was like <laughs> yeah. locked open. Yeah. I once phoned my wife at about quarter to nine in the morning. No, I texted her, that's what I did. I used to start surgery about five past eight in the morning. And I remember texting her and saying, probably with a swear word in it, but along the lines of, it's quarter to nine and I've already had my finger up three arses. <laughs> as a male GP, you did quite a lot of that sort of thing. As, as I got older and older men gravitated towards me I, I knew a lot of prostates on very very first name terms you know so, brilliant but uh, but but at the same time every one of them was different you know they were they're all they're all people and they're all they're all they're all challenging so. yeah they all have their own stories don't they in their own ways and but now you're retired though do you get people still coming up to you and say I've got this weird spot on my face <laughs> occasionally um, it's more often the other way round. I'll spot somebody in the supermarket and think, "Oh, how is she? How? Oh, Mrs. So and so. How?" And they go, "Who are you?" They can't remember who I am, and I go, "Oh, oh I'm sorry, I bothered you." <laughs> but uh, that used to happen a lot when it used to happen a lot, and it, and I think contrary to, well, I didn't. It never bothered me. Um, it never bothered me when when a a plumber said dropped his trousers and said, "What do you think?" Of that? And I'm going, um, well, let's have a look. You know, it didn't, it didn't really bother me because it was, it was interesting. I, I always, I, I enjoyed my job. I enjoyed my job. But yeah, yeah. Mm. No, that's good. And the, the benefit of, for a writer in your position, I mean, seeing so many people and a lot of it obviously connected to mental health as opposed to arses or indeed any other <laughs> physical elements, um, yeah. you know, that, that insight is, so invaluable isn't it because i think for a, for an author to have you know that experience of, of dealing with so many people from different that must have, have fed into your work oh, oh absolutely i mean i i don't have to think very long to think up an interesting facet of some character's personality um or something surprising um or something shocking um i I don't have to think for very long for, uh, to come up with something that nobody else would believe. There are some very sad and tragic stories that I could never repeat to anybody for confidentiality reasons, but you would just never believe them if 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 you could. And in a way, that's when I when I started writing, I I, I enjoyed that freedom to instead of I, I, every single thing I wrote for my whole career whether it was patient records or letters to consultants or reports on this or that, I had to basically be willing to, sometime in the future, I might be called to stand in court and justify what I'd written. So it had to be the absolute truth. Now, that's an extreme example, and it only happened to be a couple of times in the whole career, but you had to think about that every time you wrote something. But the freedom to make shit up, (laughs) to just invent stuff and and tell absolute lies on the paper is is is, is I, I really enjoy that making things mm. inventing 
things based on what I, what I try and do is right, things based on real things that may have may have happened or I've I've heard about, but I can make them up. And 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 I think, as you say, Adrian, the the number of different people and personalities that I've I've had to engage with, no matter how much you love them or hate them or are shocked by them, you have to engage with them. I, I, I've learned an awful lot about a lot of different types of people, and I think I, I think I, I, I try and use that whenever I write about a character. How about in terms of dialogue? Has that been a benefit? Because it's something that I've always taken great pleasure in listening to the way that people speak. I mean, it's different when you write it down. You have to sort of slightly alter it. You can't necessarily phonetically word No, because you'd have lots of ums and ahs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's a kind of an artificial construct, but nonetheless, capturing the spirit of someone in dialogue, is that something that, that you've picked up as a result of speaking to so many people? I, I hope so, yes. Um, and I, I, I've spent my whole career working in Scotland, but in various areas of Scotland. So I've, I, I've, I've, I've learned quite a lot of different vernacular from different areas where, where they use completely different words in Aberdeen than they do in Stirling for anything mm. um but lots of medical terms that that y- your granny would say i don't know what your granny would have said when you were your 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 nose was running and your your eyes were streaming and you were uh, full of a cold might have been something we said some in some places smorn with a cold in another place <laughs> yeah uh, all sorts of different different expressions um so i I, and i do try the i I can say books now because i've written i've 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 not i've only had one published but i've I've written more but i do try and um if my character's in aberdeen or in somewhere deepest rural fife which a lot of my first books took place in i do try and use the language that they used there and uh, yeah yeah I enjoy that aspect of it. I like dialogue. And yeah. you know, you're talking about uh, the, the reflecting on the different regional differences in the way people speak. Um, but the, the, another challenge that you set yourself with your most recent published book, uh, with um, Miles Away, was to set it in a historical context, 1970s. Mm-hmm. So that in itself is another challenge of trying to get those details right. How much work went into that element? Uh, I've thought about this. I remember when I start when I decided I was going to write a longer thing than the short story that it started out as, because it did start out as a short story. Um, I, 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 the one thing I'd learned or read about, I'd never had any formal training in writing, and I still have almost zero form. I have, let's be honest, I have no formal training in writing. Um, but one thing I had read was write what you know, and I thought, well, that's a shortcut then. <laughs> so when I started about locations, my the story is based in locations that I knew very well, and it's also based in lo- locations at times that I knew very well. I mean, I lived through the nineteen seventies, and the book is basically a, there's a it, it covers the childhood of the main character as well, who grew up in Fife. That's me. It's not me, but I grew up in Fife. Yeah. He eventually goes to Aberdeen University. I went to Aberdeen University. That I, I promise you, I'm not. I'm not the character. I'm not. I'm not. I, I would. T- I don't know if you've read the book, but I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't spoil it. But I'm not going to tell you what he does because I didn't do that. <laughs> No, but, but, but you, but you can pull pull from those experiences, can't you? Yeah, and and as you say, making things accurate about what went on then was e- quite easy for me because I can remember what was I doing in 1977 in Aberdeen? What was on the jukebox? And I can pluck that. Ah, oh, that's I, good. That's a good skill. And we check. And we check for veracity, though, because. I, that, one of one of those was um, picked up by an editor. Said, "Oh, you can't you can't say no Blue Oyster Cult um, 
1977 because it wasn't released till March 78. Oh, thank you. So I had to change it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, was, I was a year out, but I, I let myself off. But yeah, but, but that kind of thing. And, and people have commented, oh, I remember what it was like not to be able to use a mobile phone mm. and not to have a phone to, you couldn't, I mean, I, I, I used to phone my mother once a week if I remembered from my phone box mm-hmm. and if she was wittering on too much I would knock on the glass oh somebody else is wanting the phone mama better yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I try to put that kind of thing in as well but that to it's not all computer it wasn't all computers and mobile phones and and everything no indeed well there was hardly anything like that was there Research was libraries and old newspapers and, and things big like encyclopedias if you were lucky yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I try and reflect that and 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 well and i think it's important to do that but i didn't find that difficult because i i, I can still remember <laughs> i can still I, I was surprised when somebody described my book as historical fiction <laughs> well, i'm afraid so <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not history yet, am I? But um, so, no. I, I did. I enjoy that aspect of it. The the, the different setting. But yeah. when that didn't work, it took me a long time to get Miles Away published. Well, I didn't really try very hard, but I, I was lucky. I was lucky. But after a, a couple of years, or a year or so after I'd finished what I thought was the, that's as good as I, I'm going to get it. Um. I thought, well, I'm just going to write something else, and that didn't work. So I actually wrote another book set in the near future. Oh, okay, <laughs> that's completely different then. Because yeah. well, yeah, I thought, well, that that didn't work. I'm not I'm not any good at that. So um, I'll try something else. So I've I've got another book that I have I have completed, and I again I think it's as good as I can get it. Although I keep editing it and editing it and editing it, and and I, I'm still hopeful that I might get that picked up one day. But uh, but it's a completely different story. It's near future geopolitics, and it's a thriller. It's exciting. It's all sorts of there's all sorts of intrigue and bigamy and all sorts of things happening. And it's set in a part of the world that I've never visited before. It's set in southern US, USA and Florida and Cuba. Um, in the in the near future, um, so it, it, I, that, that was a completely different tangent to go off on, um, because I thought miles away. Well, well that's just going to gather dust somewhere. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> how, 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 how difficult was that process? Then, if yeah. you've not visited those locations, you know, you're not relying on that on that. Well, you know, sense that, of place. That, that, that's the contrast between writing that historical fiction. Um, when there's no mobile phones and no internet, Google Maps is wonderful for looking at <laughs> yeah. things. And Google itself and Google Images for if you want to look up uh, downtown Havana Cafe 1970, you'll probably find some pictures that give you something to base your description on um, in, in Google Images somewhere. So I, I shamelessly used a lot of that kind of thing for um, locations and inspiration and 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 and, and words as well. What, what 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 street food do Cubans eat? And I wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> I do now because I looked it up, but I, yeah. I, I, I can't remember because it's, it's in it's in it's in one of the chapters somewhere. But um, but but it's it's great. You, but you could well, I, I enjoy that. You can put in those little details, which I kid myself that somebody who's actually been to Cuba might think, oh, oh, that's right. Yes, that's right. <laughs> um, but I, 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 the start of that book well, was based in, in Louisiana, which I do feel like I know. I've never been there, but I feel like I know it because I, I, an old friend of mine, well, a patient of mine actually came in and gave me a book one time, and it was by James Lee Burke, I don't know if you know the American yep. yeah, crime writer. Um, and I've read 20-ish, 20 or more of his Dave Robichaud series books. And they're all set in uh, New Orleans and the surrounding area. And 
And I feel like I know that place. I feel like I've been there. His his mm. descriptions, his 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 say. Uh, oh, you can smell you can smell Louisiana when you read his books. It's lovely. It's lovely. But uh, so I started it there. I, I suppose that's right. What you know, right? What you know vicariously, anyway. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but what's uh, your what's your creative process like then? I mean, in terms of you've obviously teaming with ideas, um, you know. Uh, at what stage do you commit to it and then start building a building your not your stories? Miles away came from simply you know I quite like to write something. What will I try? Well, what have I done before? And the only thing I could remember doing was a short story that I wrote in my school exam when I was seventeen. I had 20 minutes left at the end of the exam question to write what they called a composition. And you weren't given any topic, or, but it had to be a story with a beginning and middle and an end. And somewhere, out of absolutely nowhere, a story... I, I don't know why I thought about hypnosis at that time, but 20 minutes later, I had a story about a man who'd didn't even know anything about hypnosis. I didn't even know what hypnosis was, but <laughs> I, I, a man who'd had an overdose of hypnosis, <laughs> which, <laughs> which, which, which is impossible, but it, it, it um, and, 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 and as a result of that, he caused horrendous mayhem and trauma. And well, I passed the exam. So I thought, well, that, that worked. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll revisit that story. And I was literally going to write a short story because I, in my career, I did, I, I, I was a hypnotherapist for a while. Oh, um, that's interesting. I, my mum was a hypnotherapist as well for a while. I, 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 I was a member of the British Society of Medical and Dental Hypnotherapists or something. And they were very a very closed uh, organisation that would only would only take on their courses qualified doctors or dentists. Oh, okay. Because oh, she used it in a medical capacity as well, because she was a, a, a Macmillan nurse. Oh, yeah, she used yeah. it as a palliative. Oh, superb, superb. Yes, absolutely. But it, it was, they were very keen to separate from any notion that it was anything like magic or... Mm. Or these stage hypnotherapists, or sorry, hypnotherapists, hypnotists, the mm. famous ones that that make Aaron Brown and all those sort of people. Yeah, Derek, yeah. Cora and all that. Think it's an apple and all that. That's, yeah. that's, that's abuse. I mean, that is abuse. Yeah, it is. Oh. Yeah, no, she oh, said the same I? thing. She get very cross if people thought it was the same <laughs> skills and the same. And, and <laughs> I, 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 I went to. A, that's a, that's another parallel with miles away. Actually, when I was a student, I went to a stage hypnotist in Aberdeen and laughed my socks off, and thought it was absolutely fantastic. But actually, along from me, there was a man who kept having to stand up and laugh or 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 drop his trousers or or something in the in the audience every time the man gave him the trigger word, and he looked along along the line and said. I can hate this. I can hate this. While this was happening, you know, he was doing it, but he hated it. And mm. I thought, well, that's not quite. That's not. I thought he was playing along or something, but he was clearly um, in distress. Yeah, yes, but still having to go through this um, process that this that I would now class as abuser had done from the stage to him. So anyway, sorry. Um, that, so I, I used hypnosis, and um, and, I, I, and I thought when I came to write Miles Away, I could base this short story as it was going to be about what really can go wrong with hypnosis, or what really what, what, what hypnosis might really uncover, and base that on on a story. And that's a big theme through through the book. I, I got that story, and it just went on and on and on. And I realised I had the beginnings of a, what would make would be a, a full length book. Mm. And that was when I decided I'm going to write a book. I didn't decide to out to write a book, um, and it ended up with I think it was 110,000 words or something in the end, um, which is a quite a long short story. Yes, <laughs> that's more than a short right. story. 
I, I now, the second book, I, I, I had an idea. The second book, I had an, the idea was basically, what if? And it was around about the time when they stormed the Capitol. And, yeah. mm. and I, the answer to what if, or the, the rest of what if, was what if they'd actually taken over and there'd been a revolution. And and the the book basically it's set a few years after that, but after what has happened as a result of them storming the capital and how America has changed um out of all recognition. Um so that, that was the basis for the idea of the story. And then I I, I managed to get a, a some peril for my main character and he ends up being a bigamist and accidentally by the way and uh, oh and there's there's an exciting gunfight at the end and there's all sorts of that's that's an interesting conundrum (laughs) an accidental bigamist i don't (laughs) know how does that happen (laughs) yeah yeah well yeah one day you might be able to read the book. No, oh, um, absolutely. <laughs> no, that's uh, that's a fascinating scenario. No, I mean that that that's interesting. You take it. I mean that is a uh, yeah. I mean we were presented with that what if as a mm. as a, as a, as people, and there's various what ifs going on in the world at the moment. What if Putin were to fall? Yeah. What's the alternative? And if you read enough uh, around it, it's not looking good because actually even more deranged and nasty people are most likely to be taking over in that context. Isn't history all about what ifs that don't actually happen? Well, in a sense, yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> the, the the speculative history, I love that stuff. I mean, I, I will happily read any book <laughs> that speculates as to, you know, if Hitler had gone and taken the oil in the Caucasus, either won World War II, that kind of stuff. It's 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 fascinating. You, you might like this <laughs> because it, it, it takes it to... Um, well, within a few years, the uh, I'm not going to. Nobody's ever going to read this book, so I'm not going to. There's no spoilers in this. The um, Cuba, the, the remaining superpowers, which doesn't include America by that time, um, or or the UK, by the way, um, the remaining superpowers have chosen Cuba as the world center for all financial activity. So everything is channeled through, you know, through a, 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 a big fancy place that I call the Bourse Cubain. Um, and uh, the, everything is channeled through there. And it, Cuba is by no means a power, but it's been chosen as a neutral territory by the Chinese and the Europeans and the Indians um, who are uh, making all the decisions for the world by that time. <laughs> so, uh, but that's a that's a backstory to the story. Obviously, there's there's a there's a there's a story about people, um, and 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 getting into great peril, and some nasty nasty villains who might be recognisable. Some of the villains are based on real people. Um, one of them is so real that I name him in the book, um, because he's. Everybody thinks he's dead, but in my book, he's still alive, and he's a bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, I, but again, I told you when I when I started writing, I just wanted to make stuff up, and and, and I'm enjoying it. Enjoying yeah, it. no, that is always a great pleasure, isn't it? And um, do you do, do you hit roadblocks when you're making stuff up? Do you, do, do, do you get to points where you know you're, you're double checking that you know you haven't got enough peril or well, some elements not working? What 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 yeah. catches you out? I I, 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 I more often it, for me it, it's I I I know where the characters are at the moment and I know where they're going to go. And how the hell do I engineer that into the story? How do I get? Uh, how do I get them back from that island to that island? And also, how does his how does his his first wife that he thinks dead? How does she turn up? Uh, so I have to engineer that that story and uh, that kind of things. A definite road. That's that's the lie awake at night thinking. Where, where, 
Where can I? <laughs> how do I get from there to there? But, um, but I, I thoroughly enjoy it. I, I, I love it. I love, I love making it up. It is that puzzle, isn't it? I mean, I this is this is an area where I struggle in a way that I always feel like I've got to describe how they get to, from one yeah. scenario to the next. And actually, the very best books in that sort of sphere of thrillers or whatever sometimes make a feature of the journey but often they don't and it's sort of you know suddenly you're there and you just take it for granted and actually you can you know in a, in a film sense you wouldn't necessarily show the the entire no nuts and bolts of especially no, if they're on a plane scenes. for nine hours you wouldn't want to describe I'm every describe them peanut up. they eat yeah yeah um <laughs> you block the toilet on the plate sorry sorry after we bring that up no <laughs> no I, uh, absolutely and i but you, but you do have to have a way of the reader saying, "How come he's, how come he's turned up there now?" You have to explain it somehow, but you don't have, you know, he arrived via so and so, and you know, mentions in conversation that he changed planes at so and so or something. You have to, and and the time you have you have to make it re- believable that they've that they've jumped from there to there. Um, Another piece of good advice I I I I I learn by listening to little things that I think make real sense to me, and write what you know was an obvious one. Yes. But uh, 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 the, the man who my dog's trying to come into the room now. <laughs> we like dogs. Um, the the publisher who eventually took on Miles Away was on the phone once and he said think of it this way and you probably this is probably bread and butter to you um but he said always arrive late and leave early <laughs> so <It's> life <laughs> yeah but he said if you if you're if you've got a passage about something that happens at a dinner party you don't want to hear how they got there and they got in the car and it was raining and they got out and they, they rang the doorbell and so and so met them. You open it with them in conversation at the dinner party and you make it obvious that they're at a dinner party and then they're in conversation and, and whatever happens that you want this to, to take your story forward happens and then that, that scene can end and the next scene you're somewhere else but there's, there's got to be a link somewhere, but you don't have to explain. You don't have to explain how they. It's a very good piece of advice, and yeah. actually, you know, funnily enough, we haven't heard. So no, I think that's really, similar. That is, that's it really stuck a chord with me because it, it, I mean, it meant you can move from one passage or one chapter to another, and oh, right, you know, the, immediately the the reader knows. Oh, we've gone here now because mm. they, haven't, they haven't had to read all that stuff, but. You've moved the story on, and I, I took that on board. Um, and it's little things like that 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 I tr- I'm, I'm lucky. I, I'm well. I I remember an old professor when I was a student, medical student, um, leading this group of us at the end of a bed. He wanted, I think, he wanted 15 causes of atrial fibrillation, which is a heart problem thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, an old, um, oh, oh, a, a super super chap. McLeod, um, and he stood in his white coat, and we were we got about eight of them, and then he was uh, he was giving us clues all the time. He was playing with us basically and giving us clues, and then when he when he when he got us there, he said, "And what am I doing now?" And he mind throwing things like that. I don't know what I think. He said, "I'm just scattering pearls of wisdom." <laughs> oh, love it. Yeah. And that's always stuck with me. And I remember all the causes of atrial fibrillation because that really meant something to me. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, that's it's a that's a little bit more a positive approach than the Lancelot Sprat version uh from the uh, the doctor in the house uh, you know, kind of series there, of there are, there are teachers and there are not teachers, aren't there? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think um that sounds rather like the sort of thing my dad would do. In his, uh, you know, his in the, in the past when he was teaching pathology at Cambridge University, sort of uh, he he loves that. He he's still a specimen now for um, Manchester 
university. Yeah, he keeps going uh, off to be a specimen, doesn't well, he? Yeah, because he's got a very rare condition oh, called yeah. yellow nail syndrome. Oh, and, yeah. uh, you know, so he sits there, spends yes, a indeed. whole day being poked and prodded and they've they, got to figure it out. Yes, they have to guess what he's got. Mm, he loves it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that, that, yeah. Don't take me back to those days because... <laughs> all, I learned all those rare, rare things. Well, not all of them. I, I would probably, I, I can't even remember what you what you called that syndrome there, and I've probably never heard of it. And that's because in 35 years as a GP, I was never going to encounter one of those really, really, really rare things. And yet we had to spend hours and hours learning this yeah, about these really, really rare things. To Just never on them. the off chance, yeah, that, that plumber... <laughs> Well, Drops it, his trousers and it says is, it is it is on the off chance because he's it's one in six million people get this. So Your dad's you know, thing, yeah. It, it was it well, took years to diagnose. Him, he said, "Don't look at my fingernails." So of course, I did look at his fingernails. Yeah, it's not <laughs> not another pretty sight. Right, we've got to that point where we need to get to the random question. Oh, okay. If if you don't mind, and it's been really fantastic speaking to you, Nick, and and really and those. Those last two the pieces pearls of wisdom. The pearls of wisdom. Us, yeah. yeah, you never. You see, this is the beauty of this podcast: is that you just, whenever you speak to somebody, there's always something they, new. They may well start thinking, "Oh, well, I've got nothing to offer this." You know, they had you know Kate Moss on, or you know Ian Rankin, or whatever. It doesn't matter because there's always glints of gold in there, and I think that's part of the what we're trying to achieve here is by speaking to anybody who's gone through the process of writing a book, you get something definitely, yeah. Yeah. and it's worth doing. So. I've enjoyed it immensely so far, but I'm not sure I'm going to enjoy the next bit. No, <laughs> I, I, I dare say this could be this could be um, one of those moments at sort of five past eight where you you know it, it's going to feel like you're, yeah, you you're might having... be texting your wife saying <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know I'll say no more. Anyway, it, it, I'll do the voice. Rebecca's random question. If I gave you the magic power to speak any language instantly from now, what language would you pick and why? That's a good question. Fling on. No. Um, oh, no. That's really weird. <laughs> no. I thought a piece says cling on. No, I... I, I, my, my, I was going to. I was going to ask. Am I allowed to ask a question? But, but was, it was going to be: Is it a real, a real language or or a, or a fantasy language? Anything goes. So yeah, Klingon does qualify. <laughs> well, I'd probably like to speak dog in that case. Ah, oh, good mm. one. Good yeah, because you've got a what cocker spaniel? Was it cocker spaniel? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that that's a particular type of language. On the background. How did you know that? <laughs> uh, well, we do our research here. It's in your author central biog on Amazon. On Amazon. Next question. What's his name? Uh, I don't know that. Oh, um, if it's not the same as what's on the back of that, it says uh, he lives in the shadow of the Wallace Monument with his wife and cocker spaniel Ozzy. Aussie. Aussie. Oh. Well, uh, Aki has joined us. She's purring away at our feet. Uh, yeah, the cat is actually upside down on my foot, but more. <laughs> that's a really good one. Um, yeah, you're, you have to answer it too now. Right. Uh, well, you speak a bit of this, so I'd like to speak Japanese if I'm oh. Um Mainly well, that because would, that would spoil it because you can't you can't talk without him understanding what you're saying. You can't. Well, there is. <laughs> but you know, it's interesting because you've mentioned that, and and I had quite a few Welsh colleagues uh, when I was at the BBC at one period, and they just they they did the Klingon thing of speaking, you know, fluent Welsh to each other, and I mean, you knew that they were slagging the rest of us off, <laughs> or at least that's what we all suspected. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like it. I mean, you know, I mean, Welsh is pretty close to Klingon, uh, some would argue. Um, indeed, Dutch is very similar to Klingon, I think. But uh, Japanese for me, because when I was a tour guide, I just desperately wanted to be able to communicate with all the sort of at, at that stage of my life and, and in in sort of the period of, of history of tourism. Uh, we're talking about late 80s through to the mid 90s. Most of the uh you know, non-European or American guests were Japanese to Cambridge, and now it's Chinese. But I would love to have spoken and to be able to bring some of those stories 
to them in, in their own language. And I could say Konnichiwa and that was about and look, it. And they love it as well. If if you don't let on that you speak Japanese and you're encountering someone from Japan and then you suddenly, they love it. They think it's brilliant mm. because they didn't expect it. How about you? What's what's yours? Um, mm, I think I'm going to go for Russian because I'd love to be a spy. And I could be a Russian spy. You think so? Yeah, because it's a spy, wouldn't I? Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> really inobtrusive. You know, you don't just sort of give voice to everything that you're thinking. Because I'm so rubbish, they wouldn't suspect me as a spy. True. True. Uh, I actually uh, tried to convince my children I was really a spy, and they just, no, no, you're not. <laughs> I nearly said something sexist. Well, I did say something sexist. I said, that's a woman thing, isn't it? Where they between <laughs> <laughs> okay. their tongue and their first thought. Um, it goes straight out their mouth, doesn't it? Sometimes. Oh, well, it, do, it does all the time. With well, me. with me too, I'm afraid. You know, I'm in touch with that side of me. Um, no, I mean, I, 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 it's funny because we we travelled to the Soviet Union in the 80s, and I think I've mentioned this on the podcast, and uh, my sister was learning Russian. So uh, that was uh, both a blessing and a curse. What, your sister learning Russian? Mm, she she was quite good. She was doing O-level Russian. And... Um, but it meant we got into all sorts of weird conversations. She attracted strange men, didn't she? Well, she did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, she was only 15 at the time. Talking about spying, I've just been in Berlin and I'm really spied out at the moment because there's lots and lots of museums all about the Stasi and about yeah. all that that Checkpoint Charlie stuff. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. I really enjoyed it there. It was great. I love Berlin. Yeah, I, I did an art trip there, so I did an art degree. Oh, as an adult, right. and we went to Berlin, and there's a lot of art in Berlin. No, we sure, yeah. sure, sure, and a lot of great music's come from Berlin. And you think about yeah. Bowie's period there and U2 and whatever. Yeah. Anyway, we'll, we'll we'll draw things to a close. So, yeah. Nick, tell us where we can find you in terms of you know the book and you mm-hmm. online, all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, I have I have a little call it a website www.ngedmunds.eu. Um, I am on Twitter at NGE Writes. Uh, the book Miles Away, which is a great read, by the way, um, is it, it's on sale through Bear. Well, it's on sale through Amazon and all the usual places, but um, the publisher is Bear Press. Bear Press, all one word. Dot UK. Yeah, brilliant. Bear is in the animal rather yeah. than the um, uh, yes, you know, uh, yes. what you get to to have a examination right yes. okay <laughs> it's been a real pleasure to speak to you and uh, we'll catch you up with you, no doubt in sterling for bloody scotland yes. a little later in the year. i'm definitely going i don't think i'll be on the stage or anything this time but i'm definitely going and i really hope i hope, hope we meet up yeah definitely. absolutely thank you so much for your time nice to meet you both i'll keep listening to the podcast the hub oh by the way hubcast do you know that, that um that predictive text it comes out with bobcats. Did you know that? <laughs> it does it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe we should change it to that. It, it might uh, get the bet bobcat lovers of the world listening to us. What is a bobcat? We'll, we'll take that offline. Oh, is it rude? <laughs> no. No, no. no it, it, I think it's some American little... It is. thing no. Or something, isn't it? Or something, or, who knows? Who knows? That lesson for today. <laughs> really nice to speak to you both. Thank you. Our thanks to Nick Edmonds for joining us. And uh, again, we apologise for the confusion, which led him to uh, <laughs> uh, be put under some pressure a fortnight ago when I we know, thought he was fault. our guest and we got up on the Zoom link and uh, waited and waited and waited. <laughs> and of course, we were two weeks early. Never mind. Yes, we have spent quite a few times like that now, haven't we? Sat staring at your laptop. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we have. We have. And uh that's usually it my fault. <laughs> well, sometimes. But anyway, let's um, let's re- just think uh, ahead of, to next week. Who have we got? So next week we have a guest who we've met very briefly once before, and I'm quite excited about this guest. This is Louise Mangos. Oh yeah, who is um, a, a crime writer, and uh, she's actually a friend of uh, one of our authors. I think she lives quite close by, or they meet up every now and then in Switzerland. Oh, so Linda Huber. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. And as you say, uh, she is a prolific author uh, of psychological And thrillers. I believe she also knows some of our other authors, the ones who did the UEA um, master's qualification. So there's sort of links. There's quite a few links between us and Louise, but we haven't had a proper 
conversation with her yet, which we're going to do this week. Excellent. Right. Well, we'll look forward to speaking to Louise next week. Well, what's um, in store for us next week? Well, Easter, of course. And oh, we yeah. do have the kids back. Uh, your eldest is back from Leeds University. Uh, barely making an appearance. He seems to be sleeping the, the whole time. Um, well, well, the thing is, he was up early this morning. Yeah, he was watching the Grand Prix. In fact, Australia. he heard you go to bed the well, second time. I'm not surprised. I left, I left <laughs> the Grand Prix playing on the TV just in case he wanted to come down and watch it. Hey, uh, that's, I got very confused because he said he'd watched it downstairs and I thought... Yeah, no, I left it playing. <laughs> I, I, uh, I ought to confess that I stayed up for a large chunk of last night to watch the first night of WrestleMania from Los Angeles, uh, WWE. Um, it is one of my uh, uh, secret sort of passions, um, I have to say, watching the wrestling. My, it's not my, that secret. Well, no, my, my, my younger son, James, um, is he just loves wrestling. And so it's one of our key sort of points of contact, really. Um, I mean, to be honest, we talk about it every day. So I have to keep... I almost feel like I'm doing revision every time because I want to watch the shows to some across what's going on <laughs> um, because it's such an important point of contact and conversation for us both. So, um, yeah, uh, I'm feeling a bit bleary and there's another night of it tonight. So, uh, Are you not going to do the same again, are you? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't think I could survive Don't forget it. the day job. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, in that in that sense, I've got one more Roman legionary book to do and um, and less than two weeks to do it in. So, and I'll we t- also have the podcast tomorrow and a meeting with one of our authors. So you need to be bright and... Uh, yeah. So I'm going to stay up. I'm <laughs> going to stay up tonight and watch WrestleMania <laughs> come what may. Uh, just to so I'm really behind the curve on everything. Uh, so the, the kids are knocking about and um, then we've got a week without them. But we can talk about that next week, what we might do with that time. We've got so much to catch up on. And in a sense, you know, it's you and I have been working very, very hard on on our freelance side of things that it's actually quite nice to think that that is going to ebb at some point and we can actually spend some time thinking about the next eight months. Is it going to ebb? Well, not necessarily (laughs) for you, but I'm not going to be narrating for much longer. No. um, to, To that level of intensity. Yeah, so we, we've we've been trying to get to our submissions pile, haven't we? Yeah, we have. Yeah, we've dipped into it. Um, and I would say one in five so far have been yes, strong enough for us to but, look at the full manuscripts. Yes, and I've read, I've just finished one of the full manuscripts and emailed the author in question. And I'm uh, reading the second full manuscript starting today. So, mm. yes, we are getting there. Absolutely. Well... Uh, we've also got some decisions to make whether we're going to go to Crime Fest this year in Bristol. Oh, I thought we said we probably not. Not or... not paying anyway. We might <laughs> no, make we an appearance. Say... No, no, we make an appearance in the environ of Crime yeah. Fest. But you know, it is incredibly expensive this year at uh, over two hundred pounds. Uh, in fact, two hundred forty, I think it was, even at the cheaper rate. Now it's the more expensive rate. So yeah. goodness knows what that is. And now. It's, it, I mean, you know, being brutal about it, there's two of us. That's five hundred pounds just for the ticket. Yeah, let alone the, the staying somewhere. So yeah. we think it's probably not. I'd rather worth spend that while. on the company. Yeah, there's other things that need to take priority. Mm. To be perfectly honest, and so that's what we're we're thinking. And the same with London Book Fair. If you know, again. Um, it's an environment, as we said last week, which is not necessarily conducive to a company of our size and makeup at the moment. Um, and besides, we're in the process of negotiating, you know, third-party representation for for a range of the aspects of London Book Fair that, you know, we have no expertise in or the contacts mm. to make work. So um, it's again, you know, it's one of those things which I might pop down for a day, just to, you know double check there's nothing of great value i mean there there are opportunities to talk to some some potential suppliers um at these which things. we did last year we didn't did we? yeah to some extent but we, you know we're pretty happy with the off you know the opportunities and things we've got so far so don't think we need to worry about that for now but uh yeah i think you know we're we're, we're concentrating on consolidating and, and pushing the, the business forward don't necessarily need to go to the expense of going places for these sort of things no and the fact that we can pop down to bristol for the day hmm. and uh, still see the people we want to see yeah not because we don't normally have time to attend the panels anyway no, we we, we, no. we'd like to but 
quite often we just we'd rather just mingle you know yeah and... the mingling's the bit the bit that, mm. that works for us there's nothing wrong with the panels at all they're fantastic it's just there's not enough time to do everything that you want to do no indeed Okay, well, I think that wraps us up for, for this week. Let's go uh, to uh, just remind you, of course, to uh, look at our website, which is www.hobeck.net. I think I'll write a new blog this week. I don't know what's on. Oh, and the other thing we didn't mention in the news was our very <laughs> exciting news, which we released yesterday in a newsletter form, which was that uh, we are uh, going to be publishing books, or at least we did claim this yesterday, which was April the 1st, edible paperbacks. I would like to say, so, and I, I did tweet about this today, but um, you know how when you have subscribers to a website, you mm. can look at the, the statistics on how many people click the email, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, 11 people clicked my pre-order now link out of 6,000 subscribers. 11 people actually click the link to see and what happens when you click that link it takes you to a secret page on our website that says april fool yeah it was very well done um you interpret well i i, I sort of had the, the initial kernel of an idea yeah and then you did a brilliant job <laughs> it was very convincing such fun uh, though. and actually i think one of the best april fools around i mean i think it's up there with uh turning the uh bt tower in london into a wind turbine <laughs> along with blackpool tower and um, various other towers around the country um i think it's up there at that level because there were some really bad ones like ant and deck being considered to become the new bonds i mean pathetic <laughs> pathetic really poor not unimaginative well, it made me laugh though yeah but i mean it's so tired isn't it Anyway, uh, let's, uh, let's wrap it up. So that's our website. And, of course, please consider subscribing to this podcast if you're joining us for the first time. Uh, we do it every week. We talk to fantastic authors and members of the publishing community. Uh, we reflect on our weird and wonderful lives as Hobbit books and as a couple of uh, weird people. I have one last thing to say. Yes. I just need to squeeze this in. So one of our books is actually only 99p, 99 cents on ebook for this week only. And Fabulous. that is Crossfire by R.D. Nixon, which is a fantastic crime series. There's three books in the series set in the Highlands of Scotland. I love it. Absolutely love it. And so if you haven't read it yet, get your copy now because it's only a third of a cup of coffee. Absolutely. Yeah, that's true. 99p is a third of a cup of words. Especially on the M6. Yeah, and the rest. Thank you so much for joining us. I've been Adrian Hobart. I've been Rebecca Collins. And uh, you've been wonderful, as usual, all of you. So we wish you a wonderful and... Creative. Week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Hobcast from Hobeck Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobeck.net. You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit. Indie Spirit.